before I came out here, the thought of being so far away from everything was so daunting. I feel like even people who would struggle with the isolation to begin with, they'd grow to love it. Welcome to Somewhere Else, the podcast that chats to people living in weird and wonderful ways. Each episode, your hosts, Domain Editors January Jones and Rose Donahue, interview someone who's ditched the white picket fence for the path a little less travelled. Hello, JJ. How are you going? I'm good, thanks, Rose. How are you? I'm good. Nice to hear you. Yeah, nice to hear you too. So I've been thinking about you in Amsterdam, actually, and I wanted to know how you're going. Are you meeting friends and kind of getting set up and settled in? Checking in on me, mum, asking if I'm making enough friends. <laughs> yes, and yeah. Interacting with people. Well, it can be hard when you move to a new country, I think, at first. You know what I mean? Like you kind of, it's all really exciting in the beginning and then it kind of, you get to this like bit of a slump where it's like, oh, I'm away from my friends, I'm away from my family, I don't have, you know what, don't you think? Like I think once you get over that initial high. I definitely agree, yeah. And I think it comes in stages too because the first like month or two, you basically just feel like you're on a holiday. And then I think about three or four months in, you sort of have this freak out where you go like, this isn't a holiday, this is just real life, but with less of my friends and family around. It's sort of like the highs are higher and the lows are lower. So if you're feeling lonely, you feel like crap because you've got less people to call and text or ask if they want to have a coffee or something. But Mm. when things are great, you're just so happy and you just sort of really appreciate being in this new beautiful city and having the freedom of not having all those people around you, which sort of sounds weird, but it's there's less responsibility in a way. Yeah, no, I get what you mean. I remember when I moved overseas for a little while and yeah, it is really exciting. And then you kind of, you make new friends. And I think the hardest part is like, you don't have that history with people. Everything's starting from scratch, you know, you kind of, it's an interesting feeling, you know, and if you're not, I mean, you're, you are working, so that's good. It's a good way to meet people. But for people that are travelling or have moved somewhere new and aren't working, I think it can be really hard to meet people, especially as an adult. I think so too. And I think it's really interesting having moved overseas again, being in my late 20s, because it's totally different. People don't make friends as easily um, around the age of 30 and up, I think. It's sort of like dating. You've got to be more aggressive. You've got to sort of put your cards on the table and be like, oh, so it was nice to meet you. Maybe we could do this again. Yeah. It's like, are we going to be two people that are just going to keep hanging out until, you know, one of us doesn't yeah. want to anymore? How does it? It's Yeah, it is a weird thing. But no, I'm not um I'm not feeling too isolated, which I think is where you might have been trying to go with that line of questioning, giving given the week's theme is living in isolation, January. It is, yeah. And it is, I guess, a bit of a scary topic for a lot of people. Um, you know, plenty of people don't like being alone. I think that's a common human thing. And I guess the question is, is it even good to be alone for long periods of time? I myself go a bit crazy if I spend more than a day without speaking to someone. What about you? I think I can actually go for a little while. I quite like my own company and maybe... (laughs) Really hunker down? Yeah. I think maybe it comes from being an only child as well. I'm kind of used to moments of solitude and I can kind of do it for a little while, but I think there's there's a limit. And I think when I was travelling overseas and by myself and it gets to a point where you're like, oh, I haven't had a conversation with anybody except for like, you know, ordering food or something like that. And I think when you get to that point, it starts to feel a bit weird. 
I think, well, I think it's just different when I've, I've spent maybe, you know, three days tops traveling alone. And I find that I just get really in my own head. It's not necessarily a bad thing. You just, you're looking at the world very differently. And because you're not sort of riffing off someone else, it's just your internal monologue being sort of allowed to go a bit crazy. I think you just become sort of more observational or something. Yeah, definitely. But would you, would you like to actually live permanently in a quieter area? Oh, look, I've always lived in cities. So I think I would find, because I, yeah, I don't know. You know what I think the funny thing is? I think when you're in the city, you're kind of more alone. And then when you're in a small area, the communities are so much more tight knit that you aren't alone as much. I don't know why that's my, you're kind of more visible, I guess. But I think it's also something that's done very purposefully because people often need that in, you know, rural communities just to keep the community alive even. I mean, places where football clubs are so important or the CWA or um, other sort of community activities. I think people sort of really actually try and um, and create that sense of community, which is a really nice thing actually and we should probably try and do it more in the city. Yeah, I think so too. Well, I have a fun fact for you, Rose, particularly on isolation. Okay, fun facts. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> so listen to this one. This is pretty wacky. So there was a professional US poker player called Rich Alati, I think that's pronounced, and he bet that he could last 30 days alone in a dark room as part of a bet and... After 21 days, he asked to be let out after suffering hallucinations. So that kind of says a bit about what happens Rich, to you. Rich, why are you doing that? Like, <laughs> why? What, what was going on there? Alone in a dark room with no one else. You're just asking to go crazy, aren't you? I think so. I mean, it, it is interesting what being completely alone and deprived of any interaction or stimulation will do to the human brain. I mean, there are studies that show that, you know, babies who... Uh, you know, um, not interacted with or touched or spoken to develop slower. So we actually, we need it biologically. Mm, and that's why they have those people at the hospitals that cuddle the newborns. Have you ever heard about that? That's a, that's a yeah. job. Yeah. Oh, it's so nice. <laughs> That'll be such a good job. It would be a nice job. <laughs> Um, another fact for us in our around the world research is that researchers in Antarctica say being stationed in Antarctica is more of a mental struggle than a physical struggle because of the loneliness. So that's a good sort of comparison. That work is obviously very physical um, and very tiring, but still the loneliness is is tougher for them. Yeah, I think especially being in a place where you know, I, I think it's different when you're choosing to be alone and you know, okay, I can take a drive and I can go into town and I can be around people. But when that's not an option, I think that's pretty terrifying. And we do know that people who are lonely are more susceptible to illness, which is interesting. So researchers found that a lonely person's immune system responds differently to fighting viruses, making them more likely to develop an illness. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one, isn't it? And I think it goes back to, you know, different people feel lonely from at, at different stages. And I think it's, it's definitely a spectrum. You might have me sort of craving company after six hours at home and then maybe you could sort of go a week <laughs> without your immune system going down. <laughs> yeah, so we took to the streets to ask people how they coped being alone. 
I actually love to be alone. I love doing yoga and I love going to the beach and going surfing and doing all that stuff on my own. Life's so hectic that it's nice to have some time to focus on yourself. Yeah, I know I go a bit stir-crazy when I'm alone for more than two days. If we're talking alone, alone, no civilization, maybe a week? I could be alone for maybe uh, five to ten minutes uh, before I start craving some kind of human contact, I think. Oh, I think I could. Yeah, no, I think I'm perfectly capable of living on my own, but it's not what I would choose to do. So I could go for however long, really. (laughs) I'm 61, so I could probably go to the end of my days, but not my preference. Today we're talking to Amy O'Shea. After high school, Amy was feeling uninspired, working in retail in her hometown of Toowoomba, Queensland. Her mum suggested she head to a remote country area to work as a governess. Amy found a position on Hewitt Downs Station, a few hundred kilometres north of Broken Hill, and was soon heading out to far west New South Wales. At a local community event, Amy met her future husband Jake, the manager of the station next door. Amy now lives on Yandama Station with Jake and their son, where their nearest neighbour is at least half an hour away. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, tell us about what a governess entails, because when I hear that, I just think about Jane Eyre. (laughs) So, a governess, anyone can be one. It's basically someone who's interested in working with with children and they can come out to rural and remote areas and help implement the School of the Air curriculum in home. Fantastic. And what made you move? I know your mum was the one that encouraged you, but what was what was that big move like and what went through your head when you were about to do it? It was really daunting because Australia is such a big place and it was over 1,500 k's away from home and I was going to be in the middle of nowhere with no phone service. I'd never been away from home before. So it was really daunting. But I think when I got out there, I knew that it was definitely something that I wanted to do and then I ended up falling in love with the place. <laughs> And Amy, what were those first few weeks like? Was it a difficult transition? Uh, Yeah, the first couple of weeks were a little bit tough. I got a little bit homesick and also just trying to fit into a new job. Sometimes it can be a little bit difficult when you work in people's homes as well as living there. But they were a lovely family and, yeah, so I ended up staying there for a year and a half. I imagine doing something like that, it would be really hard to have personal space. Was that difficult for you? It was a little bit and often you don't have personal space for people. Like I was lucky I had my own little room it was right next to the house, but it was still still wasn't in the house. I think for people who are living in the actual house, it would be a lot harder. Amy, it's funny to talk about not having personal space because how far away was the nearest big town or small town or even neighbour? Uh, well, the nearest small town would be Tibbara, which was 90 k's away from that station. And town with a grocery store is Broken Hill, which is over 300 k's away. Oh, wow. And so to, how do practical things work? So how would the family get their groceries or what happened if you sort of needed something kind of spontaneously during the week? Could you just not get it? Uh, no, we are big meal planners out here. <laughs> uh, we have a truck that comes up the road to Tibabara, uh twice a week. And we have to make sure that we get our orders in through 
whoever we go, decide to go through in Broken Hill, Coles or Woolworths, and uh, we have to make sure that we've planned ahead and we either get it out on the mail run or we go into town to go and pick up our groceries. And can you tell us about meeting your husband, Jake? Because I imagine you probably went out there and thought this is something different to do and a new thing, and then you ended up staying out there. So can you tell us about that decision and how that all happened? Look, I only I only came out here for what was supposed to be six months. After the six months, decided to stay for another year because I loved it so much and I wasn't quite ready to go to uni yet. In all honesty, I think I decided that uni really wasn't where my life was going to take me anyway. So I started the next year not really knowing where my life was going to take me. I was just winging it. And I met my husband a couple of months into that year at a local Gymkhana. Wow. And and how did you make that decision? Was it, I mean, obviously, was it love at first sight and you just thought, okay, well, this is for me? Or did it take a bit of convincing on his part? Uh, it actually didn't. <laughs> uh, we... I wouldn't say it was love at first sight. I'm a very sceptical person. It, it did take me a little while, but uh, once we did know that we wanted to be together, it did move quite quickly. We were engaged by the end of that year, and I was due to have a baby by the end of the next year. Wow. And so he owned the station next door. Uh, so, yeah, he door manages the station that was next door to the station I was working on. Right, okay. So was it a big move or was it like a just sort of a hop, skip and a jump over the fence or was there even a fence? Uh, there's a couple. <laughs> there's a couple of gates. <laughs> it's about half an hour, 45 minutes. Wow, that is okay. a, that's a crazy thing to think <laughs> about, isn't it, that your next-door neighbour is 30 or 45 minutes away? Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> And tell us about the station that you're living on now, so your home now, Yandama Station. It is a predominantly sheep station. We have been capturing a couple of goats lately, but it's mainly just sheep. Unfortunately, we are fairly well destocked at the moment as we don't have much water left. But yeah, well, we've been here for for four years now, so we love it. Yeah, I imagine the drought must be having quite a serious effect. How are you coping with that? Yeah, look, it's taken its toll on everyone and you, you can tell that it's trying to get us down. But we try to be as positive as possible and we just roll with the punches and we do what we can. We did destock the sheep because, you know, we just didn't have enough water left. So the only thing to really do now is just keep the place going until it rains again. Yeah, absolutely. Amy, how do you how do you think that people who haven't lived or even been to a cattle station when they when they visit you or if they did what do you think they'd find the hardest about being in an isolated area like that I think they'd probably initially find the isolation hard but it's also something that you grow to love before I came out here the thought of being so far away from everything was so daunting to me but now it's one of the things I love about this place I love that it's just big, open, wide spaces and you can see the sky. (laughs) Yeah. Do you ever struggle with the isolation, Amy? Does that ever get to you or are you used to it now? I I do. I've just gotten better at managing it. I mean, I try to make sure that I go to town and interact, especially now being a mum. You can turn into a little bit of a hermit after you become a mum. And... 
I do try to go out and meet up with some of the other mums. I am a part of our local country women's association, so I do go to town for meetings and sports club and things like that. So I do try and get out as much as possible to avoid that loneliness of the isolation. At the same time, whenever I do go to town, I'm always keen to get back home again. It sounds like there's a real sense of community, though, often in places that are a bit more isolated, even if not just because you're forced to sort of foster that sense of community um, to, to help everyone sort of keep going. Do you, do you think that sometimes out there there's sort of more of a sense of a community than in the city? Definitely. Our community is a really, really tight-knit community. I mean, a lot of the people in this area, my husband's actually related to, his family's been in the area four or five generations. So most of the people around here are family, if not very, very close friends, especially with the drought happening. We've definitely needed to knit together and lean on each other a bit. And we have done so. There's been a lot of activity this year with getting people out of their own homes, away from their stations, and just trying to hang out as a community. There's been a lot of applications for grants to get funding for water and all sorts of other types of things, lots of donations. We've had a couple of, and it hasn't happened for a while, I know our local golf course um, hadn't had any action for a long time, and this year we've already had two two rounds of golf as a bit of a, um, a day out for everyone and a butchery day for the blokes. So we try and get out as much as possible and spend time with the community where we can. Amy, so what I want to know what happens when you've got an emergency, and I, and I know you were pregnant, you've got a son now. How was that? What was it like being pregnant and being in an isolated area? Yeah, well, that's actually... Uh, with, with my pregnancy, I had quite a hard pregnancy, and um, it's funny you talk about emergency because I actually did have to get flown out of our local clinic um, halfway through my pregnancy. So basically what happens is if there is an emergency, the first point of call would be to ring emergency services and the RFDS would send a plane. We are lucky enough to have a, uh, an airstrip on our property that is okay for an RFDS plane to land. Otherwise, normally there's at least one between a couple of properties. Or if you're close to Tibaburra, then it would land there. It takes about an hour for the plane to get there, and then they fly you straight down to Broken Hill, um, put you on an ambulance, to the hospital and then when you're at the hospital they decide whether they can treat you there or whether it's bad enough to send you to Adelaide. And does it feel like an hour is a long time though when when it is an emergency? It does feel like a long time and it is something that is a bit tough to get your head around when you are in that situation but the RFDS and the rural nurses are just absolutely amazing and so good at what they do. Honestly, it's been a couple of times where without them, there could have been a big chance of me not actually being able to have my son. Wow, that must have been pretty terrifying. How do you stay calm in those situations? They know that sometimes it can take a little bit of time for emergency services to get there. So they are very good at keeping people calm and 
I guess also because we are a close-knit community, I know most of these people. So they are people that I know and people that I trust, and it's, it's, easy, it's easier to be calmer when you are with people that you know and trust. Now, you were obviously from the country, but nowhere near as rural as where you live now. When you decided to stay and, and make that move, what did your family and friends think? Well, my mum was all for it. She was the one who gave me the idea, but she didn't think that I would stay out here for as long as I did. And as for everyone else, I think they couldn't believe that I didn't come home. You called their bluff, Amy. (laughs) Yes, definitely. (laughs) Do you ever have any regrets or do you just love this new life? I absolutely love it. I have no regrets whatsoever. I couldn't see myself living anywhere else now. Yeah, well, that's a lovely place to end it, Amy. Thank you so much for talking to us. It's really interesting to hear about, especially for two city girls like Rose and I who have no idea (laughs) what what this would be like. But, yeah, thank you so much. That's okay. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, my name is Rachel. I'm living in Panawanica, so that's 17 hours drive from Perth. It's basically two hours inland from the closest city, which is Karasa. It's a town where there's lots of animals walking around, lots of miners as well, and miners' families, and I'm a teacher there. So I was living in Perth. I was living in North Fremantle, so it was lots of coffees, lots of chilling out, lots of beach. I graduated uni and thought, you know, I want to work. I want to start teaching. I want to get a job that I'm really passionate about. So my friends need the principal at the school. So I went and did relief at the school and everyone was so welcoming. And then a job popped up for the following year. And because I got along with the principal so well and the staff, the town was so lovely. And it was just such a good opportunity that I couldn't really say no to. And it's been really good, like not just professionally, but personally as well. So one of the main things is in terms of socialising, because you're not in a city where you usually hang out with the same group of friends, you have to actually socialise with people from all different backgrounds, which is actually a pretty good skill to learn. So you socialise with people from different states that have moved there, because it's a working town, different ages, also people that you work with, so there's the professional relationship mixed with personal. The opportunity to save money is huge as well, because it is a mining town. A lot of the rents mainly covered, like it's very small, as well as a lot of the facilities are free. So this is, it's such a good opportunity to save. It'd be silly not to. It's not the kind of place that you go and you come back with nothing. Yeah, so it's 45 degrees today. So very hot most of the time. It's high 40s throughout the summer. But then alternatively on the other side of it, it's really good being able to go camping in the winter, which is a pretty cool experience, being able to be outdoors in the middle of nowhere without lots of people and seeing the stars all to yourself. There was a cyclone when I was there, so it was like we we were in lockdown. Everyone had sandbags at the door. The cyclone never actually hit, but it was a fun experience. Uh, the anticipation of it. We all had to fill up sandbags. Um, so the town location for that was the school. Filled up our sandbags, like filled up my little Kia Rio and put them all around the house at the doors and they called them cyclone parties. So basically everyone just kind of gets under one roof and locks down together. So yeah, that was definitely an experience. 
scene, like waiting on the weather and waiting on the town at the police shop. They've got the light. When the light goes on, there's a warning of being at the category and you need to be inside. So that was probably a massive experience that was kind of just like a bit of a wow experience. This actually happens in the country. You don't usually see it in the city. I would 100% recommend it to anyone. I'm usually quite a social person and I love going out with friends, catching up with friends and all that side of it. So it was a change, but I really enjoy it for that reason because you learn things from other people. You learn to be on your own. You learn to function on your own in terms of if something goes wrong, you have to handle it. And then as well, you kind of take on the people around you as a second family. Now, Rose, it's time for your favourite segment of the podcast, Pop Culture Homework. Yes. <laughs> now, I have... love this. Yeah, I know you do. Now, I have two recommendations for you. Bring it on. So the first one is the 1971 film Wake in Fright. Have you seen that one? No, and it's my brother's favourite film and he oh. has posters all over his wall and it's a bit creepy, but I need to watch this. <laughs> you do need to watch it. So the film follows a young English school teacher who finds himself stranded in a rural mining town. The film is a brutal critique of toxic masculinity, Australian culture and life in rural communities. And this is a fun fact actually about the film and an actual fun fact, not just, I know you like <laughs> things that are actually fun, not just a random fact. Uh, so famously during an Australian screening, one man stood up and pointed at the screen and protested, that's not us, to which Jack Thompson, leading actor Jack Thompson, yelled back, sit down, mate, it is. What do you think of that? You know what? I have heard that anecdote before. I feel like I know so much about this film without actually having seen it. So I definitely, <clears throat> this is definitely some good homework for me. Yeah, it is pretty terrifying. It's just... There's something so claustrophobic about the whole thing. It is it is really a great Australian horror film. Just a great Australian and, film, actually. And made by an Englishman? Actually, Rose, it was directed by a Canadian, Ted Kotcheff. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. So that's pretty interesting, isn't it? I mean, that could explain why someone stood up and said, that's not us, you know? Like, if, if they thought it was a, an outsider's perspective on... I mean, it's a pretty brutal depiction of Australia from yeah. what I know about the film. It, it oh, looks absolutely it horrifying. Is. Yeah, uh, but look, it is actually based on a book that was written by Kenneth Cook, who is an Australian. So I guess with that in mind, it's, you know, just because it's of the film. not cultural appropriation. No. <laughs> I don't know if that's cultural appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can appropriate pub culture in the outback, or can you? <laughs> well, who knows? Um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, it is written by an Australian originally, but then was adapted and was a co-production between, I'm pretty sure, the US and Australia. Well, thank you for that, JJ. I have another one for you. It's a classic. It fits very well with the theme of living in isolation. It's Cast Away, the 2000 film starring Tom Hanks, one of your favourite actors. (laughs) One of my favourite actors. Oh, wait, look, who doesn't like Tom (laughs) Hanks? You've got to love Tom Hanks, especially in in this film. Castaway is a 2000 American survival drama film directed and co-produced by Robert Zemeckis and starring Tom Hanks, Helen Hunt, who really ruthlessly leaves Tom Hanks in the lurch at the end of the film, by the way, and Nick Searcy. 
The film depicts a FedEx employee stranded on an uninhabited island after his plane crashes in the South Pacific and his desperate attempts to survive on the island using remnants of his plane's cargo. Wasn't that a great film and didn't it make FedEx famous? Yeah, definitely. And what was his friend? Uh, look, it's been such a long time since I've seen this, but his friend, his ball, it's a ball. It's Wilson. Wilson. Yeah, that's right. Yes, Wilson. And there's that, there's hor- that really sort of, sad um, scene. branded content in that film, actually, <laughs> like Wilson, FedEx. Yeah. I wonder if they paid for that. They must have. Now, I have one more for you, Rose. This one's a little bit off-centre. But I'm going to recommend Lost in Translation, directed by Sofia Coppola. So have you seen that one? Oh, that's a good idea. A different kind of isolation. Isolation in the big city. Exactly. And in a country where you don't speak the language. So the story is about a faded movie star, Bill Murray, and a neglected young woman, Scarlett Johansson, who form an unlikely bond after crossing paths in Tokyo. I love it. And do we think in hindsight that it's a bit of a sort of weird relationship between Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray, who was about 30 years older than her, or is it still cool? (laughs) Well, you know what? I actually, that relationship doesn't bother me because it never becomes romantic. Not that that should matter either. It never becomes romantic. And I think it's just about two people meeting who are lonely and connect on that level, really. I don't think it's, you know what I mean? I don't think it's one of those Hollywood things where it's like, oh, look, here's a 50-year-old man, let's give him a 20-year-old girlfriend. I think it's just... No, that's true. They never actually get together no. even at the end. Yeah, and I think it's just that, those moments in time where you meet someone and you connect on on a level, like, you know, that has a completely different life to you, but there's just something that draws you together. And I think that's kind of beautiful. Especially when you're that lost. And, I mean, those two are very lost in Tokyo at that point. Neither yeah. of them have any idea what they're doing. She's newly married, doesn't want to be and unhappy. married. unhappy, yep. He's totally washed up doing <laughs> whiskey commercials in Tokyo. Yes. It's pretty good. No, yeah. that was a good one. Well done, JJ. Oh, thank good you. recommendations from you today. Thank you very much. And I actually just – I know here I go again with a fun fact, but apparently – that was based on Sofia Coppola's marriage to Spike Jones. So there you go. Ooh, yeah. Okay. And it was about her little having just finished university and kind of not knowing what she wants to do. And she's married to this big time director and just feeling a bit lost. Well, JJ, it's been lovely as always. Some good pop culture homework this week. We've got lots to do. So we're going to get to it. We do. Okay, Rose, see you later and I'll talk to you next week. Bye, JJ. Thanks for listening to Somewhere Else, a podcast by Domain. Somewhere Else is produced by January Jones, Rose Donahue, and Kate Bartels. It is edited by Steve Claxton. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And tell your friends. Send us to your mum. It's how we get the word out. We'll see you soon, somewhere else. This episode of Somewhere Else was brought to you by Domain Insurer. Powered by property experts, Domain Insurer is a smart, simple way to purchase insurance. Get a quote in under two minutes at domain.com.au forward slash insurance forward slash podcast. Domain Insurer AFSL 502088 for the insurer Zurich Australian Insurance LTD AFSL 232504.